Thank you for choosing to listen to the Emmaus Chapel Messages podcast, a ministry of Emmaus Bible College. Each episode is taken from a chapel message given here at Emmaus. For more information about similar Emmaus ministries, please visit concerninghim.com. A hope deferred makes the heart sick. Proverbs 13:12a. Also known as the life verse of Chicago Cubs fans, or at least they used to be. And never was this more true than in 2003. I can still remember, I was 11 years old, and it was the 2003 NLCS against the Florida Marlins in Game 6. The Cubs were one win away from heading to their first World Series since 1945, for a chance to win their first World Series since 1908. And in the eighth inning, the Cubs were up 3-0, and I can still remember the cameras panning the crowd and all of these old Cub fans just with this beam of excitement in their eyes because something that they had hoped for for years looked like it was finally about to become a reality. Until one of the Marlins hitters hits a fly ball to left field, which Cubs left fielder, Moise Salou, I can still remember who it was, he he seems to have a beat on the ball, and he, he jumps to catch it, but as he jumps, a fan deflects the ball, likely preventing him from making the catch. And even though it was just a a harmless foul ball, even I, as an 11-year-old, knew something terrible was about to happen after that. And sure enough, after that play, the Marlins would go on to score eight runs, win the game eight to three, and then the next day they went on to eliminate the Cubbies. (laughs) And and again, (laughs) again, I remember the camera panning the crowd and showing those same fans that just a moment ago were just beaming with excitement. Now I see tears coming down their faces because that which seemed to be becoming a reality was turned right back into a deferred hope. And many of them, you could see, were realizing that it may not happen in their lifetime. And it's that deferred hope that brings us to our goal today. Because what we see on earth today, it displays a world seemingly devoid of hope. And because of that, many Christians are even losing confidence that what God has promised will ever be realized. When God, who promises to be our strong tower, but the ground feels shakier than it ever has. When God tells us that our present suffering will be momentary and light, and here we are two years later and we're still suffering the after effects of a pandemic, and you're telling me that my suffering is momentary? How do we maintain hope when all sight of hope is deferred or even destroyed? And what we're shown in scriptures is that God's people maintain hope by understanding who the object of their hope is, by remembering the purpose of their hope, and then looking forward to the result of our hope. Now today, I don't usually do this, but we're going to be looking at multiple passages here today to kind of help us see this. So a passage I would like to have you turn to would be Lamentations chapter 3, there in the middle of your Bibles. Lamentations chapter 3. And I want you guys to note that in these verses, he's talking about God here. But listen, listen to what the writer says. He says, he, God, has made my teeth grind on gravels, in verse 16, and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace 
I have forgotten what happiness is, so I say my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gal. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. Now, in the middle of this book of lament, in chapter 3, we actually are given a glimmer of hope. But we haven't gotten to that part of the scripture yet. And I didn't even have time to look at all the other things he says about God. But listen to me, just through a few other things that this writer says about God. You don't have to read, but just listen to what he says about God. He has driven me into darkness. He has turned his hand against me. He has made my flesh and skin waste away. He's broken my bones. He's made me dwell in darkness like the dead. He's made my chains heavy. He shuts out my prayer. He's blocked my ways. He drives his arrows into my kidneys. And therefore, it says that his endurance has perished and his hope from the Lord. Well, what was this hope that has apparently perished from this individual? Well, remember, this is one of God's covenant people speaking. But instead of seeing a land flourishing with milk and honey, he finds himself in exile. Instead of God's glory in Jerusalem, he sees a city with its walls destroyed and its people missing. Instead of the presence of God emanating from the temple and being worshipped, he sees charred rubble. Instead of a descendant of David ruling, he sees an empty throne. And you can just hear him, hear him saying, but God, what about your promises to Israel? What about you? You ever been there? You know, God, you you promised to never leave me or forsake me, but I have never felt more lonely in my life. God, you have promised to deliver me from sin, but yet again, I've given into this addiction that has plagued me for years. Guys, what what do we do when his promises seem to be failing? You know, there's this heartbreaking scene from a film called The Great Escape. I don't know if any of you have seen that. It's kind of an older film. But it's about a group of English and American prisoners of war in a German POW camp in World War II. And they're having this this celebration because uh, the tunnel that they have dug underneath the barbed wire, it's just about ready. And their escape seems imminent. But in the midst of their celebration, the, the Germans end up discovering the tunnel. And their plans are ruined and their hope of escape is deferred. And then in an act of hopelessness, one of the POWs who had escaped and been recaught numerous times, he just can't take it anymore. And he, he runs up the barbed wire fence in a suicidal attempt to escape, and he's immediately gunned down by the guards. He had reached his breaking point. So again, I ask, how about you? Are you one more letdown from cashing it in? Why, why should we even try to keep going? Well, please keep going with me in this passage in Lamentations, picking it up in verse 21. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. 
Now, would you notice what we do not see? Notice, we don't see the lamenter asking, you know, God, once the people are back in the land, once the walls are rebuilt, you know, then, then I'll put my hope in you. No. Instead of the lamenter putting his hope in a change of circumstances, we see him putting his hope in the character of God. And so too for us, my Hebrew professor in seminary, she always used to say to us, our hope cannot be in a change of circumstances, but in an unchanging God. Remember when we just couldn't wait for the pandemic to die down? And then as soon as we seemed to get to a better place, there was some new variant. And then do you remember, even as the the variant seemed to die down, then then we got news of, of Russia invading Ukraine. Your hope cannot be in the change of circumstances. This fallen world will always develop some other variant. Your hope cannot be in the end of this school year. Because difficulty will find you there this summer as well. But if we look to him whose love never ceases, and whose mercy is new every morning, our hopes will not be snuffed out, even if at times they seem deferred. Our hope is not in a change of circumstances, but in an unchanging God. And so with that in mind, Continue in verse 25, where the writer says, The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes, and let him be filled with insults. For the Lord will not cast off forever. But though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. He does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. The lamenter resolves to wait in patient trust. And not a sitting on one's hand type of waiting, but a type of hopeful waiting evidenced by prayer and expectation. A type of waiting that understands that as a father disciplines his child, so too God, our Father, disciplines us for our good. And though that discipline might lead to suffering, suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. And character produces a hope that will not disappoint. So if the character of God is the the object of our hope, what about the purpose? What is the purpose of our hope? So again, I'm going to have you flip over to another passage in in Hebrews 6. And as you're you're turning turning there, remember, this is a a writer. So after having just talked about those who had fallen away from the faith that they had professed in God because of some form of persecution, the author of Hebrews is confident that his readers, that they will not do the same, but that they will demonstrate the strength of their faith through their obedience, that endures persecution because of the hope they have in God. So pick it up in verse 10 of chapter 6, the book of Hebrews. And he says, For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end 
so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Again, in this brief passage, we hear of the believer's faith demonstrated by their perseverance in love and service, which as we all know, can be exhausting. And loving and serving amidst hardship would be nearly impossible if we thought it was for nothing. Because you see, the, the loss of hope, it, it leads to sluggishness, as it says in verse 12. And to, kinda, to help you understand that a little bit more, I want to tell you about my high school football team. Talk about hopeless. We were terrible. I mean, terrible. I mean, we were so desperate that I was our starting strong side linebacker. <laughs> Me. That's how bad it was. And so every Friday night, we're getting beat by 30, 40, 50 points. And knowing that this was going to be the result week after week, it made it hard to stay motivated in practice. Because you see, by Monday's practice, mentally, we had already lost Friday night's game. And our practices were sluggish because we knew there was no hope of a good ending. And it's hard to beat your head in at practice every day when you know that all these practices are they're just building up to getting embarrassed on the field. So too for us, if we don't have an anticipation of a good outcome, obedience without purpose, it, it leads to despair and burnout. So how do you and I remember the purpose of our hope when sometimes our effort at times will seem fruitless? Never slaved over an exam or a paper only to hear that you received a C, maybe even a D? Or what about when someone you poured into has now walked away from their faith? How do we keep going even when our most sincere and faithful service seemingly results in no fruit? Well, continue on with me in this passage in Hebrews. Look at verse 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So stop right there for a little bit. We know the story of Abraham. We know of God's promise of a child in his old age. And it says that in response to God's promise to bless him, in verse 15, it says that Abraham obtained the promise after having waited patiently. Now, we know it's not like Abraham did not have his lapses in the midst of that waiting. Remember Hagar? But it was his patient faith that led to faithful obedience. And what allowed him to be patient was the character of the one who promised. And that goes right back to what I said in my first point. For the purpose of our hope is grounded in the object of our hope. And in closing out this passage, you'll understand that a little bit more. Pick it up again in verse 17. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf 
having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. To show the unchangeable character of his purpose. Guess what? The character of his purpose remains unchanged. Therefore, we can still hold fast to it. The ultimate example of that unchanging purpose is his son, who in this passage is referred to as the steadfast anchor of our souls, as the one who has gone behind the curtain on our behalf to serve as our mediator to the Father. And speaking of that curtain, remember when that curtain was torn in the temple at the crucifixion? Well, I can promise you that there is no power on earth or in hell that can stitch that curtain back up. And therefore, we can continue to have hope that we will remain in that access to the Father because of the finished work of our Son. And that is what stirs us on still. The fact that nothing can separate us from the love of the Father. A family who I know that has demonstrated this type of hopeful obedience is the family of one of my mentors in college. Um, Alex and his wife, Jess, shortly after I graduated um, from college, they moved to Croatia for missions work. And shortly after they moved, they got hit by this string of tragedies that I couldn't believe it. Shortly after they got there, they found out that Jess's father committed suicide. Then shortly after that, they found out that Jess's brother was killed in a car accident. Then shortly after that, they found out that their third child was going to be born with this rare and dangerous condition and may not even survive. Now, praise God, that child is still living to this day, but it has come with its challenges. And then, even amidst their caring for their daughter, they found out that Jess was going to have to undergo an emergency surgery. And then, while she's still in the hospital recovering, they found out their youngest son is going to have to undergo emergency surgery. You couldn't make it up. It was one thing after another. But I want you to hear what Jess, the mother, said after having gone through all of that. Listen to what she wrote. She said, We've walked through enough brokenness these last five years to prove that if the news had been different, and that's referring to a good medical report they got, that even if the news had been different, he would have still been good. He would have still carried the burden, and he would have still sustained us. I'm sharing this because none of us will make it through this world untouched by the brokenness here. This isn't the world we were made for. Joy can't be found in healthy children and happy lives. God saw our suffering and took it on for himself so we could know true hope true joy, and true purpose. Take it from me. Jesus is real, and he is enough. End quote. Emmaus, that kind of perseverance is nothing that you can just conjure up on your own. It comes only from above. And that same lasting hope is offered to all of us. And it's that hope that keeps us going, that helps to produce our obedience. So to maintain hope, we we must understand the object of our hope, the character of our God. We must also understand the purpose of our hope, our obedience. And then finally, what about the outcome of our hope? Well, to look at that final passage, it's going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3. Peter, writing to this group of believers who are undergoing extreme suffering. 
And Peter writes to them. He says, again, verse 3, chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Stop there for a second. What does it mean to be called to a living hope? Well, it's a living hope because remember, Christ, the object of our hope, is living. We cannot disconnect our hope from the resurrection. And with Christ not heading back into a tomb anytime soon, our hope is imperishable, undefiled and unfading. And that hope is our inheritance kept in heaven for you. And this hope is as sure as the one who promised it. And it is his power that sustains us until the day that he chooses to reveal it. And though we don't see it yet fully, look at its present impact. Continuing on in verse 6, Peter writes, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Notice in this passage that there is the presence of both rejoicing and grieving. How how can both exist simultaneously? Well, like my friends Jess and Alex, a a joy that is maintained through trial is is evidence of faith. It's evidence of a power outside ourselves. And that is why the praise and the honor and the glory go to him. Because the one who did the calling gives the enabling and also does the finishing. But it's not finished yet, as verse 8 makes clear. Because it says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, salvation of your souls. We know him, but we don't see him. We've been adopted by him, but we've not yet been brought home by our Father. Some of you might be familiar with the writer Russell Moore. He has this powerful story that I think brings this passage home for us. Moore and his wife were at an orphanage in Russia, and they were playing with their their two future sons. The adoption was all but complete, but they had to return to the States to finish some legal procedures before they could take the boys back with them. And as Moore and his wife were were leaving the orphanage, he heard behind him one of the kids giving out this, this scream of wordless anger and confusion as to, why am I being left behind? Aren't you my caretaker? And Moore said it was the most terrible and yet lovely thing he had ever heard. He said it cut him to the heart, but it was the cry of a son for a father. With that cry of anguish, the orphan had become a son. And so too, you and I, we cry out, because though the adoption is complete, we haven't been taken home yet. 
but we eagerly wait for it. And in the meantime, that which we are waiting for is so glorious that even at present, we can rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible, as Peter says. Brothers and sisters, remember the outcome of your faith, the outcome of your hope, the inheritance kept in heaven for you. A hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. As I'm sure many of you know, the Cubs ended up ending that drought in 2016. And again, I remember watching it, and again, I remember the TV cameras panning the crowd and seeing those elderly Cubs fans again with tears on their faces, but this time with tears of joy. And if they can get that teared up over a baseball game, can you imagine what our emotions are going to be like when we finally see them? A longing fulfilled is a tree of life. And though I don't think it's exactly what the proverb writer is specifically referring to, but our longing to be fulfilled, it will be a tree of life, as it says in Revelation 22. So Emmaus, as we come to the end of the school year, Maintain hope when all sight of hope will at times seem lost, as maybe it does, particularly during this time of the semester. Understand who the object of your hope is. Jesus Christ. Remember the purpose of your hope, your obedience to him, and look forward to the outcome of your hope, the inheritance kept in heaven for you. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, as we come to the close of this season of chapels, we, we give thanks for the ways you have reflected yourself to us and reminded us of the hope that we have. So Lord, even when at times our hope may seem deferred, may we remember that he who promised is sure. So Father, we, we give thanks. Help us to grow in that hope to focus on that hope, and to share that hope. And so, Father, be with each of us as we head into the end of this week and into finals week next week. Give us clarity of thought and purpose. And remind us that we do it as unto you. So we pray all these things by the power of the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless and have a great rest of your week. Thank you for listening to the Emmaus Chapel Messages podcast. This ministry is possible because of the generous contributions from our partners around the world. For more information about partnering with us, please visit emmaus.edu partner.